This Week in HPC by Intersect 360 Research. Atos acquires Nimbix. Intel adopts LLVM for future development. It's This Week in HPC. Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening to another episode of This Week in HPC with Intersect 360 Research, distributed in partnership with HPC Wire. I'm Addison Snell with Intersect 360 Research, joined this week by John Russell from HPC Wire. John, thanks for being with me on the podcast this week. And uh, This Week in HPC, a, a story that you bylined, this is a big deal, Atos acquiring Nimbix. Tell us about that. Well, it, it is a big deal, um, and uh, it's had really good readership on the site. There are really sort of two pieces. One, uh, Nimbix, you probably know, was formed in, in 2010. It really was one of the first HPC cloud specialists, and it brought leading-edge technology, you know, sort of think FPGAs, GPUs, IBM's Power8, uh, and ARM. It really was the first to bring those to market in the cloud, ARM maybe coinciding with some of the others. Um, and in recent years, everyone's doing that, right? So it has migrated some of its exclusive cloud uh, customers to um, to public clouds and really leveraged a product it has, which is uh, its Jarvis hybrid cloud software. And um, it's really been well well received. It's one of these container native uh, platforms. So that's sort of Nimbex, and, and it'll be missed in that sense that it was really in a, a first player. The second piece is that um, Atos has high hopes for this. It really wants to expand its global HPC cloud business, and it wants to attack the, uh, the HPC market uh, in, in much more forceful terms. I was surprised that the financial details weren't disclosed. I thought since Atos was public, it might be, but it wasn't. Let me just read one fast quote. Be interested to get your take on it. And that's uh, this is Andrew Grant, who is Atos's vice president of uh, HPC Strategic Projects. Bit of a mouthful there. But anyway, he's pretty blunt about the aspirations. He says, look, we're the dominant player in Europe, but we don't do a lot of HPC in the U.S. We have a handful of U.S. customers, but very few HPC customers. That's despite having a very large staff count in the U.S. And the reason is we haven't had a team of HPC experts. Having knowledgeable feet on the street, a known brand that understands the ecosystem will help us. We want to take advantage of that footprint. Uh, we want to have an expanded Nimbix team able to go and support and upsell and cross-sell HPC capabilities into these customers. We absolutely intend to grow the Atos HPC footprint uh, across the U.S. So that was pretty direct, I thought. Um, you know, he took a, a moment to have a pot shot at HPE says, gee, you know, since it acquired SGI and Cray, um, Atos hears from customers that there's really no competition. Maybe that's true. But, uh, you know, but look out. Um, here they come. Yeah, it's it's definitely interesting in that HPE is the closest cohort to Atos. And uh, when, when talking about Atos and Nimbix, they're two companies that have really both been in high growth mode. Atos has been in double-digit growth mode in high-performance computing year over year now in our numbers. And that's despite the fact that the HPC server market in of itself declined 7% last year because of COVID. Atos was one of the outliers that 
that really continued to grow in a very difficult environment. So Atos has been doing very well, but just not so much in the U.S. Americans aren't as, as familiar with the company. Nimbix is in a really hot category of cloud enablement to the extent that, you know, of course, we're looking at the, the extreme high growth rate of cloud in HPC. That's been a major focus of our forecast and our recent webinars. But uh, a part of that is that we've introduced a new category in the services part of the market where we're tracking cloud enablement services uh, as well as uh, a lot of the cloud software. That's where Nimbix has lived. And uh, you, you mentioned Andrew's quote there. I think that's exactly the point, that Nimbix is a company that's that's really uh, got a, a dedicated HPC-aware staff that knows how to uh, migrate HPC types of applications to cloud. And I think the subtle point here is that Mostly, these are going to be hybrid clouds. They're not all uh, all in all the cloud all the time. So, to the extent that you're managing both on-premises and cloud workloads, if Nimbix can be a uh, an entry point for Atos into the U.S. market through cloud enablement, I do think that's interesting. Now, I will say it's not like there's no competition for HPE. Dell is out there. Dell is a very strong competitor. Okay, but but Nimbix does give uh, Atos a, an interesting way to get into new geographies, specifically in the U.S. Uh, absolutely, that's exactly what he's thinking, and I think it's also true that that Jarvis the product from Nimbix does give them capabilities they did not have. Um, you know, it, uh, it's being ported to, for example, the Fujitsu Fugago uh, machine. You know, it really has established a presence in the HPC marketplace because it's able to handle a variety of technologies. And this uh, container native quality it has is also important. So it will be interesting to see. I asked Grant, I said, you know, tell me, you know, when you see these two two offerings, yours and this, how do you separate them? And he says, look, we're really focused on the on the front end. You know, we're very much uh, a portal interface. We make make the job submission easy. You know, it's customer friendly. But you know, Javis is more more downstream and more complicated. So the ability to move containers in a multi-cloud way, um, you know, you could go to Amazon, Google, and have the ability to dynamically create clusters. Any Kubernetes target um, would be suitable for Javis. This is something Atos can't can't do. I sort of like the way he put it. I'm going to steal just one more quick quote, since I wrote the article and it's, and it's familiar to me. He said, whereas we can easily submit a Slurm job, let's say an on-prem system into a GCP uh, platform, uh, what we couldn't easily do before was be able to create a cluster on the fly, submit those containers, and have those containers elastically grow in the cloud environment. That's unique IP that Jarvis has, and we think that's a fantastic asset. I think most people would agree with him on that, that it really is um, – you know, it's not unique in the sense that there are other platforms in orchestration software that can do this kind of thing, but it, it does it well, and it was an early case of that. Uh, and I would expect that you'll see them try to leverage that, and you'll see, you know, a variety of use cases emerge over the next oh, year or so. Everything from, you know, dedicated on-prem, private cloud, to um, hybrid, multi-cloud, um, to even specialized clouds. Perhaps you have a, a special purpose uh, genomics workload on a repeat basis and you need particular 
um, you have particular needs. They're talking about being willing to sort of co-locate a machine uh, for you, maybe even adjacent to uh, one of the main cloud players and make that available. So it will be interesting to see how ATOS sort of rolls out the capabilities into specific use case offerings. Yeah, it it interests me, John, and I like that you pointed out that Nimbix has been around for a while now, since more than more than a decade since 2010, and we've been tracking the evolution of this HPC cloud space, and, and in particular with some of the big uh, cloud enablement services companies. We saw the acquisition a couple years ago of Cycle Computing by Microsoft in order to to continue to develop Azure, and now Nimbix by uh, Atos. I think there will be a lot of attention now on what happens with Rescale, which is the other really major cohort in this space. Does Rescale remain independent or does someone acquire them? But in terms of uh, the affinity of Atos to Nimbix, I, I, that I really do see because where, where we've stacked up in our research, Nimbix versus uh, some of its cohorts, Nimbix has, has done very well in some of the commercial or enterprise HPC space, uh, such as finance, uh, also manufacturing. And to your earlier point about HPE, those are vertical markets that have been strong for HPE. So you were just talking about the co-location. If if Nimbix can bring those kinds of um, capabilities to Atos for US-based companies in enterprise HPC, I I think that will be interesting to see can uh, Atos gain some market share. Now, also this week in HPC, John, another interesting story. I think this one is is actually pretty important uh, relative to the title. It, it seems like it's down in the weeds, but Intel has adopted LLVM, or I should say completed the adoption of LLVM. This has been in the works for some time, and this affects their Intel C, C++ compiler suite, as well as the, the uh, broader developer tool suite, Parallel Studio. Tell us about that. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Um, First of all, the the Parallel Studio XE suite that um, Intel has had for many years, you know, is a very well respected, very solid, um, very solid product. But um, it does have limits um, a little bit in diverse architectures, particularly for many different kinds of chips. And one of the things Intel is trying to do is improve its ability to sort of work with many different kinds of processes. Obviously, it has its own GPU effort now in the works. It's got FPGAs for a while. There are these AI chips it's working with on the side. And it's put all those things under the one API uh, banner. I I don't think the AI chips are quite there yet, but the other, FPGA, GPU, and CPU, they are. And so what it's done, um, it's sort of migrated or really transitioned what was um, its classic C, C++ compiler, a well-respected compiler, um, to one that is based on the LLVM architecture. And in doing so, uh, the pressure will be for people to change. And when they made the announcement in a blog this week, that was one of the things that the blogger, an old, uh, an old hand at Intel, although recently returned, James Render said, he says, look, you know, we recommend all new projects start with the LLVM-based Intel compiler, um, and that those those of you with existing projects, you should make plans to migrate the new compiler to the new compiler uh, this year. Uh, and then he warns, of course, that you know, sometime in the future, the classic, that's their terminology, C, C++ compiler 
will enter the legacy product mode. Now, no one knows exactly when that's going to happen, but that's a big deal. I mean, it sort of started um, in earnest last fall when uh, the the Parallel Studio XE was rebranded and brought under the One API kits at the time, and those have all kind of coalesced now. and And this is part of that effort to push forward uh, a new One API view of programming devices. Um, so that's that's kind of the the core of it. Um, yeah, I, I can comment on the speed ups if you're interested. Yeah, I I, I will want to hear that. I do think this is a very important um, uh, story or development in this space because as much as we look at Intel is the is still thoroughly dominant in terms of the number one CPU provider for high performance computing. And you know there have been interesting developments around AMD. There have been interesting developments on ARM. But you look at market share, CPUs are still thoroughly dominated by Intel. And then beyond that, I think what gets underappreciated is Intel is also the number one provider by a good long way of middleware and developer tools for high performance computing. And as you pointed out, those Intel C and C++ compilers are, are well used. I mean, they're, they're, uh, they are very common in, in HPC. But as we start looking ahead toward one API and this idea of an open development framework across the entire XPU space, as Intel refers to it, this is a necessary update because without it moving to the more open LLVM, you're gonna it's gonna start looking more closed to where Intel is middleware or rather developer suite looks for Intel. Uh, XPUs and then NVIDIA will have its and AMD will have its and then you know, you'd get all these silos. If Intel is serious about one API and the openness of it, we would look to see this kind of migration and they're doing it. So if uh, if we're going to see a, a true open one API, this LLVM adoption is a critical part of that and I'm pleased by it. I think this is Good news, although it is a difficult migration for a lot of the uh, a lot of the market. So, um, yeah, we'll want to track how this is going as it happens. Intersect 360 Research is about to do a comprehensive study of the software space in HPC again. So this is something that uh, is very timely, and we'll want to. Uh, poll end users for how they feel about uh, this migration. Now, you were going to start talking performance. Go ahead, John. Yeah, before I before I jump into that, I, I just want to add that, um, you know, Intel has seemingly played uh, nicely with standards groups in the last few years. And um, I say that because when they were first proposing and then just a member of a supporting team for open HPC, which was this idea of a kind of plug and play HPC stack. You know, there are a lot of um, skeptical people watching that effort. And the, and in fact, that's played out pretty much as they as they had promised it would. They have not played, an, uh, uh, I guess, a demanding or overbearing role in it. It is a widely used and it is relatively plug and play. I mean, obviously, in the HPC world, people like to tweak these things to get the most performance out of them. But still, um, that was an interesting effort that, you know, sort of suggestive perhaps that Intel is is playing, you know, more nicely in these standard efforts. So to your point, I think that, that you know, we'll have to watch and see, but it's a promising idea. And I think when we look at those performance numbers, the gold standard in HPC for me is still spec rate when you're talking about general performance across a range of applications. Uh, you know, the specific application benchmarks are always great, but you want to talk general HPC performance. I want to look at spec rate and you've got some of those numbers in your article. 
Yeah, no, they were. Um, they, they're, I'm just quoting really right from the article, and they're all available on the Intel site. You can find them, but they they quote a a 14% reduction in build time versus their prior uh, compiler version, which is um, you know pretty substantial. And then they're saying a 41% improvement on floating point performance and a 48% improvement on integer performance. Those are big numbers. Uh, and you're right, it's the spec rate test. So, um, you know, so clearly they've, they've done some homework here to make sure that this new compiler is, um, you know, is effective and, and there's a reason to change for it besides this fact that it's, um, you know, it's, it's going to be a little bit more manageable for a wider array of devices by being part of the one API swipe, suite, excuse me. So, yeah, no, um, it look, it looks like, uh, you know, a good a good move on their part, generally speaking. And again, uh, you have to wait to see a little bit to see how broadly one API is used. But one would expect, for example, um, it will be the uh, the vehicle to to program Aurora. You know, I'm I'm assuming they have um, that's what they're using now. So clearly, you know, they're hoping to make it um, the next generation, if you will. So. Yes, the you know the old suite is gone. Um, Parallel Studio XE gone, but this one API um, effort seems to be real. And uh, and if you don't get on board, you're going to be at a disadvantage as as some of the older components move into sort of this uh, legacy support mode. Two fascinating and important stories for the HPC market. Our listeners can get more details on both in articles by John Russell on HPC Wire. John, thanks very much for joining me, and thanks for tuning in to This Week in HPC. You've been listening to This Week in HPC, brought to you by Intersect 360 Research, actionable market intelligence for high-performance computing. For more information, visit intersect360.com.